Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Welcome, everyone, to another episode. Uh, Wendy and I have a little ritual we kind of do before recording each of our episodes where we just we pray and we lift up all of the people who've submitted questions, uh, including all of those questions, and even especially those questions that we don't have the opportunity to answer on our show just because there's too many. And of course, we're praying that the Holy Spirit would would lead our reflections and what we share. Mm -hmm. So we were just in that zone right before we pushed record here. <laughs> and I found myself so grateful to you, lover, for your complimentary gifts hmm. to mine. I, I really see how much I need you. <laughs> I, really, I really need you. I need you like the winter needs the spring, you know, I need you. That's a 70s song. Just popped in my brain. I, I, I really, I do see it. As we record these podcasts, I just realize Like I, ha I have a particular theological gift to share, um, but you take things to the heart in, in a way that I know blesses our listeners, and I just want you to know, Wendy, it also it blesses me. Like, I, I need you. I need mm. your complimentary difference. Um, it's a, in, to make a T.O.B. point about it, that complimentary difference is expressed very clearly in the difference of our bodies, but that's just the sign of a deeper mm -hmm. mystery of, of our inmost selves. And your gift to me, your difference blesses me. I'm so mm. grateful for it, and I need it. Thank you, my love. That's very dear of you to say. I didn't know what you were going to say. That's very I know, beautiful. I know you didn't know what I was going to say. You. And I wanted to it say touches it. my heart. And I know, I know also that I don't always appreciate it, because in my fallen humanity, difference gets translated in my fearful, insecure, fallenness as threat. I don't want to live from that place. I don't want to believe those lies. Uh, I want to just plant my flag in the soil of the gospel and proclaim with faith and conviction your differences are a gift. Even those that threaten me the most, they're probably the the. the the gift I need the most. It's <laughs> probably why they threaten me the most. Oh, isn't Lord, it true for both of us? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. For a moment, you. I forgot that we're actually saying this to thousands of people around the world. <laughs> for a moment, I thought you and I were just having a conversation. <laughs> Thank you for all you said. I, I, I know it is also true for me, and I am so grateful. And I'm interested to know whether there are any updates you want to share with our yeah, listeners. I, wanna, I always want to point people to our courses that we're offering, but today I, I also want to point people to our YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. We're making some traction on our YouTube channel. In, in the last few months, we've changed up our format a bit. I'm doing more of these long-form conversations. I've had some great, great guests on. Uh, Father Timothy Gallagher was, was on last month. 
Uh, he was in town teaching his interior life course, and he and I did a, a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, thinking of some others, I had a, a wonderful conversation with Sister Maria Gemma. Um, she is a, a student I've known for probably 10 years or more, and she has uh, dwarfism. She and her family are little people, and that conversation I had with her on our YouTube channel just stands out to me as a highlight mm-hmm. of all that we have on YouTube. Just here you have someone with with a, an experience of bodiliness so different from the norm, mm-hmm. and to hear her, and she's radiating in this video, in this interview I did with her, she's just radiating this joy that comes from discovering the theology of the body. And it just, it's just beaming out of her right. beautiful little person, person bodyhood. <laughs> um, that was a strange expression, but I'm trying to integrate it all, you know, body person. Yes. And yeah, so, so our, our producer, we do these long form conversations, but then our producer also chops them up into smaller bits. So just check out what we're doing on YouTube. We're, we're really trying to, to get the word out on YouTube. If you're not already subscribed to our channel, uh, please do so. It just helps the algorithm to subscribe. If, the, if you want to do simple things to help this message get out to a wider audience, uh, share this podcast, as we always invite you to do. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Leave comments. These are always things that help the algorithm to get our message into more and more people's feeds. It's funny how things work in, in social media, but that's just how it goes. So very simple things people can do to, to help get that message out. Mm-hmm. Watch these videos, uh, leave comments, subscribe to our channel, all that all that helps. Yeah, that's great. Uh, are you ready for a question from yes. one of our patrons? Let's do it. Okay, this is from an anonymous patron. Do you have any advice or light you could shine on the mystery of food. Uh-huh. I've been recognizing recently a tendency within myself to overindulge and to turn food into an idol. And I'm uncertain how to reorient the mystery of eating in such a way that it maintains its position as sacramental and not idol. Could fasting be an effective tool? Uh-huh. And how do I do this while possessing a healthy body image of my body as it is right now, not thinking I'm only lovable if and when I stop overindulging and lose weight? Bless this dear person. Thank you also for being a patron. So grateful to you. I, I'm loving this question. It's it's where I live. Like I, li- <laughs> I live in this place of pondering the mystery of food. I, I just recently finished a manuscript called... Uh, what do I call it? Eating the Sunrise is the title of this book that will be coming out in 2023. And the subtitle is Meditations on Beauty. Uh, no, Meditations on the Liturgy and Our Hunger for Beauty. This this idea of eating is, is absolutely essential to our humanity. It's essential to our theology. It's essential to the whole reality of creation, fall, and redemption. Think about it. The symbol of the fall in Genesis is eating, right? A wrong kind of eating. This is the symbol of the fall. And I say symbol of the fall because we don't know exactly what the fall was, and uh, a Catholic interpretation of Scripture need not conclude 
that the original sin was the picking of a fruit from a tree and eating it. But the fact that this is the symbol of original sin, a disordered kind of eating, is incredibly significant. Hmm. And how do we, how do we uh, enter into the fullness of our redemption? What is the source and summit of our faith? We eat and drink the body and blood of our Savior. The deepest desire of Christ the bridegroom is that his bride would eat his flesh and be nourished on it, nourished with eternal life, eating, eating. Ponder the mystery of eating. What are you doing when you eat something? You're taking a chicken, uh, another form of life, whether it's an animal or a vegetable, some other form of life had to sacrifice itself or be sacrificed more aptly, had to die so that we can continue living. We are so far removed from the processes of, of nature when we get our chicken already butchered, uh, plucked, deboned, uh, de-skinned, and wrapped in a styrofoam tray with cellophane. Uh, then we, we pull it out of our fridge and we put it on the stove and we don't have to deal with the blood and the feathers and the killing and the clucking and, and the hatchet and the chicken running around with its head cut off. We don't have to deal with any of that anymore. And, and we are worse off for it. You may think, well, I'm better off. I don't want to have to deal with that. But we, we're losing essential lessons here. Here's an example of how disconnected I have become. We mm. were watching this chef's table recently yes. on Netflix. Mm -hmm. And and it was about pizza makers, these gourmet pizza people. And this gourmet, like world-renowned pizza chef is, is interacting with the farmers. And he's going out in the field where the wheat is grown that he turns into flour that he makes his dough with. He's, he's interacting with the farmers who raise the goats that he uses for the milk to make this re really special cheese. And my initial thought when I saw him walking into a farm with all these goats running around him was like, wait, I thought this was a show about pizza. Well, right there's the disconnect. I think pizza is something you get at a pizzeria, uh, which it is, but where, does, where do all the ingredients come come from that have been so artfully crafted together and cooked in such a way that I put it in my mouth and I'm like, mm -hmm, oh, glory, that is awesome. It goes back to that farmer. It goes back to those goats. It goes back to the, to the mystery of, of the seed and the soil. Why is Jesus so often in his parables talking about seed and soil? Uh, this this whole mystery of life-givingness. He compares himself to the grain of wheat that has to fall into the ground and die. And true enough, that grain of wheat that falls into the ground and dies, uh, that we take that grain of wheat, we crush it, we bake it, we put it on an altar, and it becomes Jesus. Food, food, what happens? Uh, you, you, you take that the very thing that died, you're taking it into yourself, and it becomes you. I had this reflection, you'll remember this, Wendy, it was during lockdown and, and we, you know, we weren't able to go to mass and uh, we would do our, our own little Sunday 
service thing uh, where we'd read the readings and watch Bishop Barron's homily or something. And I don't know why it dawned on me. I think it dawned on me because I was so hungry for the Eucharist and mm -hmm. I, I wasn't receiving the Eucharist at the time. And I thought about Jesus's hunger. And I thought about Jesus eating figs and Jesus eating fish and Jesus eating grapes and Jesus eating bread. And I thought, wait a minute, why do we think it unusual that bread can become the body of Christ? Every time Jesus ate bread, it became his body. Mm. It was divinized. And then I started thinking, how happy were the fish that Jesus ate? Because they reached their destiny, because the destiny of all creation is to be divinized in Jesus Christ. Uh, my point in all of sharing all of these reflections is simply to say, eating is a great mystery. And, and I just invite the listeners to ponder more often what you're doing the next time you're sitting down to a meal. Ponder what you're doing when you put that in your mouth and eat it. Uh, how many farmers, how many workers, how many truck drivers, how many grocery store workers had, had to, to get up and go to work for you to be able to put that bite of Cheerios in your mouth uh, or, or whatever the case may be? I know I'm rambling. Forgive me. I, I, I've rambled so much, I'm not even sure I remember the question. Can you... Can you can you restate? No, forgive it's, me, it's podcast beautiful. listeners. You know what? The very first sentence of the question was this, or the very first question within it yeah. was, "Do you have any light you could shine on the mystery of food?" Okay, well, there. Okay, so, so I that's am, what thank you've you. done. That's and what I'm I trying think to do. Even though the question went on from there, I think all that you shared is is food for thought. Ah, huh? <laughs> little punny comment there. <laughs> you know, is is shining that light it's kind of like hitting a reset yeah yeah, like yeah saying okay i'm in a rut but this just to step back and reflect on these things is the is the reset yeah yeah it's powerful i'll, I'll share this too what you know an infant how does an infant take in the world everything goes right in the mouth mm. right the mouth is a source of profound knowledge profound knowing mm-hmm and we, we, we have to learn the hard way what we should and shouldn't be putting in our mouths. But it's not that that desire to know through the mouth goes away. We tend to think, oh, that's just an infantile thing. Wait a minute. When puberty kicks in, what are you yearning to do? You know, the mouth in erotic love is, is the way you come to know the other what are passionate lovers saying in their passionate kissing they're they're saying i want to know you i want to taste you i want to take you into me we actually do this we actually do this in the eucharist we take ultimate love into us uh, and this book is called eating the sunrise because uh, the sun the the church prays her liturgy traditionally towards the rising sun ad orientum why because the sun is a sign in the sky of the bridegroom coming, and the earth is the bride, and nothing on earth is concealed from the burning heat of the bridegroom. It's what opens the flowers. Um, what we're doing in the liturgy when we pray ad orientum is it's, we're, we're being the flower that's opening towards the light of the sun. Uh, so 
Yeah, we in the Eucharist, we eat the sunrise. We eat the sunrise. <laughs> That's what liturgy is. Back to eating. Uh, back to the, you know, specifically maybe what this this listener is struggling with, with eating. And, and the listener said, uh, I, I struggle with turning food into an idol. And could fasting be be a, a way of of helping there? Yes, 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 yes. A quote from the Catechism here. The Catechism says, "Why do we fast? Because food is bad. It's evil. That's why we fast." No, it doesn't say that. <laughs> Just seeing if everybody's listening. That is not why we fast. That is Manichaeanism right there. The idea that the physical world is bad and we fast because it's evil is is not Catholicism. It's Manichaeism or Manichaeanism, tomato, tomato. Um, yes, Manichaeism believes that the physical world is evil. This is not our faith, right? Inherent in Catholicism, in the way the Catholic rightly sees the world, is that the things of this world communicate the things of another world. But the Catechism says there's an inherent danger here in, in, in a sacramental worldview that the danger is one of turning icons of heavenly realities, that's what food is, into idols, and taking our deeper hunger for that bread come down from heaven to the bread that we get from the earth. That's when the icon of food becomes an idol. And the Catechism says we fast in order to prepare ourselves for the liturgical feasts right? Liturgical feasting is where our hunger gets directed towards its true object. Liturgical feasting is where we open our deepest hunger to the bread come down from heaven. Fasting from the bread from earth, fasting from food in this world, helps us get in touch with what our deepest hunger is and helps us to direct it rightly and frees us, liberates us from that tendency we're all prone to. This questioner is just sharing his or her own humanity with us that we all struggle with. The struggle is turning the icons of heaven into heaven itself, turning icons into idols. I've said too much, so <laughs> I'm going to stop now, even though I could continue going oni, noni, no, noni, non, which I, <laughs> I will refrain from doing. I'm glad you liked that question. It just opened up a, a well it that did. needed to flow. I, and it, yes, it did. And it flew. It flowed. Flutie flowed? <laughs> it flowed. Our next question is from a listener named Dragosh. Dragosh. Mm -hmm. That's a great name. First of all, a big thank you. I listen to all your episodes, three to four per week. And now, sadly, I've caught up and I have only one to listen to each week. <laughs> I have a vulnerable question. For many years, I suffered with premature ejaculation. My wife loved me with patience, and those years have passed. Now, sometimes I have unions even without ejaculating. Is that acceptable? Dragos, bless you, brother. Um, you're, you're putting some vulnerable stuff out there, and I'm, I'm so glad you're honored, really, that you're entrusting us with this question. Uh, one cannot be faulted for being unable in the marital act to, to bring it to completion. The, the goal for the marital act to be completed, that's the very language of, of canon law, 
uh, what consummates the marriage, uh, the complete act of intercourse means the seed has been planted in the garden, to put it delicately. But there may be times in a married person's life uh, where the husband, for whatever reason, might not be able to bring his seed forth. Um, there's no moral fault there. Uh, it might just be a, a circumstance of a, of a given situation. One should desire that the act be completed, but when there are situations in which it cannot be, uh, by no fault of your own, then by that very fact, there's no fault of your own. So perhaps there's some medical help you could seek. Uh, you've gone from the one extreme of premature giving of the seed to, it sounds like an inability to give the seed on some occasions. Perhaps there's some medical attention, and that would be beyond what I'm able to advise you on, but I would encourage you in that direction. Mm, yeah, I, I feel the just the very fact that he began with, I have a vulnerable question is, um, is touching to my heart. And I, I will just share with our listeners that because I screened the questions that questions about, um, changes in our bodies, um, as we age, for example, are not uncommon to come, um, into our, our podcast questions. And, uh, some of them maybe touch on things that are hard to talk about uh, on a podcast. And um, so, but I, I kind of just want to mention that to our listeners yeah. in case they feel like, oh, you know, is it strange that I have this issue or this question? I, it isn't, it isn't strange. It's it, part of our um, just human experience changes that we go through. Um, and I, I think there's such a, a sweetness I feel in um, this in Dragosh's mentioning of his wife's patience. Yeah, there's in a real the, tenderness there. in the earlier time of their marriage, and I kind of applying that also to the current situation and imagining that that continues and um, that there's still that tenderness in their marriage, which is such a gift, such a beautiful gift, and um, far. I don't know, it's far less common maybe than it should be. If we can all aspire to that real tenderness with one another at all stages of our lives, it's a very beautiful thing. And that becomes, even if there's not a completed act of, of union in the technical sense of the term, there is a profound union taking place when someone is in a place of vulnerability uh, for example, a husband who can't bring forth his seed, and the wife shows tenderness and love, and I receive you as you are, there is a profound experience of closeness and intimacy being experienced yes. there that should be treasured in itself. Yes. Our next question is from an anonymous listener. This is a sensitive question. I'm going to ask about something that has been a silent suffering for years in my marriage. My husband, who is a good Catholic man, extremely loyal to his call in life, lives very much on the surface. There's an intimacy that we lack because he seems incapable of ever expressing his heart. Mm. We've been married for 29 years. Mm. and We've had many conversations regarding this issue to no avail. 
I, on the other hand, have an artist's heart and feel very deeply. I often feel misunderstood by my husband. I work hard at raising my arrows upward to God to give him this pain, and I seek a healing that only he can offer. But I continue to yearn for emotional and spiritual intimacy with my husband. Our conjugal one flesh union to me is merely mechanical and saddens me deeply because I know it is not supposed to be this way. I'm committed to my marriage for life for the sake of the kingdom, but live this silent suffering that I can't seem to share with anyone. In a weird way, I relate to Truman's marriage in the Truman Show, which I just watched in the TOB1 class. How does one survive in such a marriage? I feel so privileged as this dear wife has shared. She she finds it very difficult to share this silent suffering, but she's just shared it with us. And I feel so honored. These sufferings that we carry deep in our hearts, they are and I'm not I'm not saying this to in any way placate people. I am saying it because I believe this is a deep conviction of my soul that these deep and often silent sufferings are pearls. They are gems. They are treasures. And in the work that we do, we get to hear so many of these silent sufferings. And I, the image I so often have when someone comes to me even on the podcast here or at a course or when I'm at a parish and someone will open up a place in their hearts that is so difficult and vulnerable. I really, the image I have, I really see is that they're opening a treasure chest and presenting to me this shining gem. And the reason I say that is because these places of our our deepest and usually often silent sufferings, this is a place of profound intimacy with Jesus. Uh, Wendy, you and I have been on retreat with a priest who, when we've opened our sufferings to him, he said, you are Jesus. You are Jesus. That's that's the suffering of Jesus that you're presenting to me. And I remember the first time I heard him say this, I was like, what? Okay. I know the theology, we're the mystical body of Christ, and I, he said, get out of your head. It's just true. You are Jesus. In this deep place of your suffering, I'm seeing Jesus. And I've come through experience over the years to say, I know that's true. When people open their sufferings, I'm encountering Jesus. So I honor that place that has been opened to us through this podcast, I'm, I'm seeing the sufferings of Jesus. They are real, uh, they're, they're painful, but they're hopeful because the sufferings of Jesus lead to glory. Somewhere, I don't know where, I don't know how, but somewhere in your husband's life, something occurred, maybe even in the womb, I have no way of knowing, but somewhere your husband's heart got shut down and locked up. And it was some pain in his life that that caused that to happen. Some maybe a rejection wound, I don't know exactly. But we are all made with a heart alive. 
Uh, we're all made with a heart that is meant to shine. We're all meant with, uh, we're all created uh, to have a heart that, that is expressed. Uh, and an example I'll often give is if you put music on and a toddler is there, he's going to dance. He's going to shake. He's going to bounce up and down. And he is expressing, think of that word, pressing out his heart. Why does dancing make us so vulnerable? Because intuitively, we know we are revealing an inner mystery through our body. It makes us very vulnerable. Well, we're all, we all come into the world with this natural tendency to dance when the music comes on. But somewhere along the line, we expressed our hearts. They came out and somebody said, what are you doing? You look like a dork or you look so stupid. Knock it off. That's embarrassing. That's stupid. That's weird. What do you mean? You know, fill in the blank with whatever the insult was. Our hearts get, get wounded profoundly. And then the turtle goes in his shell. And sometimes I know in my own life, I made this inner vow as a little boy. I got so wounded. Uh, I made a vow never, ever again will I be that vulnerable? Will I be hurt in that way? Will I let myself be hurt in that way? Never again. It took me years of spiritual direction uh, and years of butting up against painful things in life to begin to open up some of these places in my heart that got locked up and, and buried. And I'm still working at it. There are still places in there that need to be unlocked. Uh, and I'm reminded of this, this line in, in the Gospels. We're very familiar with it, but maybe not as familiar with a more accurate translation. It's typically translated, and I believe this is the version from Luke's Gospel, if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life, you'll find it. Uh, I, I read in a book of Mikhail Waldstein, uh, which was a, an extensive commentary on the theology of the body and the philosophical roots of it, um, where he says that a more accurate translation of that verse would be something like this. If you build a protective wall around your life, you will lose it. But if you allow that wall to come down, you will beget your life. Wow, 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 wow. We all do this. And I want to speak what I, what I intend to be words of hope to you, dear wife, with a husband who's, who's, whose heart has been wounded and, and locked down. Your suffering just as you've already confessed you are doing, you are opening to the Lord, your suffering open to the Lord as intercession for your husband will bear its fruit. Maybe not in this life, but maybe on your husband's deathbed because of your fidelity to him, which is so striking in, in the way you've, you've worded your question. Your commitment to him is evident. That fidelity to him that offering of your suffering, and it is a real suffering he's causing you, because we long for intimacy. We're, long, we're created for that. Marriage is meant to be uh, the privileged relationship in which a, a man and a woman 
get really naked with each other. And when we're being physically naked, but not spiritually naked, there's an incongruency, and it does kind of become mechanical and technical, as you've described. That is the symptom of a physical nakedness that doesn't correspond with a, a spiritual nakedness, a nakedness of the heart. Uh, so all that you have expressed is indication to me that you are well aware of what is going on and opened up as intercession for your husband. It will bear its fruit. Maybe on his deathbed, those walls will come down and he will beget his life through the grace of God that came through your fidelity and your prayers. This is real. This is how marriage works. I don't want to say something's wrong with your marriage. I want to say something is beautifully right with your marriage because these wounds have come into the light and you are learning how to pray for your husband. That means something is going beautifully right. Hmm. I love your um, comment there. It just really struck me as you were concluding with you, you've learned how to pray for your husband. I also really loved this um, questioner included that the couple has had many conversations about the dynamic yes. over the years. And I know from kind of the way it's worded that there's a feeling of frustration or that that hasn't yielded the fruit or it hasn't brought about what needs to be brought about. But I, I want you to just look back over those years of your marriage and recognize that in some ways your husband knows you. Mm. And even though he doesn't get your artistic sensitive heart, he is aware that you have it because you've, you've shared it with him. You've, talk to him about it. And I think it can be a beautiful thing if, then I, I speak this in part from, from things that Christopher and I have experienced. If you would invite him to pray for you based on how he knows you, um, not, it, for example, to say something like, you know that in, in this situation, my heart can be in this way. That just to, you fill in those blanks what the situation is and how your heart can be. Please pray for me. It honors his place as your husband, even though he doesn't get you, to recognize he does know this about you and that he does have a, a role as an intercessor mm. for you um, that, that could kind of lift him up, even if he may feel very inadequate because he can't understand you to know that you still value, that he has something to bring to your life simply by saying a prayer for you um, as you acknowledge your need for prayer. So that that is one thing that I think is already a, a great potential in your marriage from what you've shared that I just encourage you to take the further step of, of calling him just a little upward in that he can, because he knows you, he can he can be an intercessor for you. Another thing I know from relating with Christopher is that um, is that sometimes I, in our relationship, I would say Christopher is the one with a more artistic heart, and he struggles to kind of get me to express things in my heart at times. And I mean that I wouldn't say our our marriage perfectly mirrors this one, but there are elements that mm -hmm. I can relate mm -hmm. to, and. 
I know for myself that um, sometimes I, I kind of reach deep inside to try to put something in words that feels too deep for words. And I try to get a little bit out to, cause I know he wants to hear it. He wants to know <laughs> what's in there. And, and sometimes that kind of, it's like, it's like I've pressed the latch on a, on a door that opens and there's a vacuum where he's like, Oh, more, more, fill it up. Give me more. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense. That image. Makes like sense a, to me. <laughs> there's a sudden gush of like, like a vacuum cleaner applied to me, like <laughs> say more, say more that can be like, Oh my gosh, I worked so hard to get that little bit out. Didn't that like mean something to you? Can we just stop there and just be grateful for that? You know? So I just share that as like, sometimes the, the one who's not expressing things is a afraid of the depth of longing in the other one i'm never going to be able to fill that vacuum so i'll just not even push mm. the, the mm. latch because mm. mm. i don't want to even realize how deep that longing is on mm. the other side oh, oh, oh. so just if there's a way of, of a sensitivity in in your heart as a wife to be able to receive the little hints of your husband's heart without letting it be an, a moment where he is reminded he's inadequate to your desire or something, but, but more just like to be grateful just for the little signs of what's in his heart. Um, I just encourage that as a, a, a way on your side to kind of love in that gradual way that the little bits of growth that we experience in our marriage and, and to trust, trust the future is in the Lord's hands and be here in the present. Um, those are my thoughts. I'm getting a window into this dynamic in our own marriage, Wendy, and I I know that when you are I know the the words that you you express your heart in, in ways that aren't uh necessarily with words. And I know you you when you do put it in words, there's a lot of work behind it. And I can point to certain times in our marriage where you have worked to put something into words and when it comes out, it's, it's gold. And, uh, I, I have, I know I have, Oh, Oh, that's gold. Give me some more of that gold. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and not honored you in, in those places. Please forgive me. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. And what you said there also, just put in mind another maybe encouragement for this wife. When you see those little signs of his heart, which which I'm sure you've seen, what maybe put it? I, I might put it this way: What is he into? Does he have a favorite band? Does he have a favorite tool in the garage? Does he have a favorite movie? Does he have a favorite? you know, fill in the blank. What, what does he love to do? What stirs his interest? Is he into nature? Is he into cars? Is he into beer? Is he into, um, I don't know, collecting strange, uh, <laughs> trinkets of whatever sort, who knows what he might be into, but what, what a person is into, what a person takes interest in is a window into that person's heart. And even if you can't relate um 
to to encourage him, you know, let's just go with the example of a favorite band. Maybe he has his favorite band. And maybe maybe they're coming to town. And it was his favorite band in, you know, 1985. And he's mentioned how much he loves this band. Uh, well, maybe you could find out if that band is still playing somewhere and you could say, hey, let's go to this concert. Like little things like that can crack open a heart. These are the little sacramentals of our personal journey. And they go very, very, very deep. I, mean, I am still drawing. I'm a 53-year-old man. And I cannot understand or make sense out of my experience of being alive without the help of, I mean, I'll put it this way. I have been so helped in making sense out of my life and experience by Rocky Balboa. <laughs> as weird as that might sound to all kinds of people who think Rocky Balboa is just some bum from Philadelphia in a stupid boxing movie. I'm telling you, that is that that story became a sacrament of my heart at a very young age. And I am still, as a 53-year-old man, drawing gold from that. Uh, maybe you know that your husband has some favorite movie from his childhood. Even if it's not meaningful to you, maybe say, honey, how about this weekend? I have a surprise for you this weekend. We're gonna we're gonna watch. Maybe you don't even tell him. I want to. I want to. Let me plan an evening with you. The kids. We're going to get the kids away. Uh, we're going to have the house to ourselves. Or maybe you're going off to a bed and breakfast, and you're watching whatever his favorite movie was from his childhood. Uh, I'm just holding that out as a possible way of helping his heart, helping him reconnect with an interior place. Just mm. some thoughts. Mm. We hope that what we have shared with you today has touched interior places in you and if you think it would bless anybody else please share this episode hit that little share button help us get the message out i i always say this we always say this at the end of the podcast but we really mean it like this is for real it's not just our little sign off really and truly you are a gift and we invite you to become what you are is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.